Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt and taxes and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, with a love of fantasy books and funk, and a hatred of running more than three miles, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, your host, and welcome back, my friends, to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Welcome back to our monthly fireside chat with a physician to get to know their journey, their joys, and their struggles with finances and outside of finances. And my friends, in this show, we try and dig deep to find interesting people. As a matter of fact, LinkedIn is a tool that I've used from time to time, and this physician actually reached out to me on LinkedIn, which made my day. He was kind enough to mention the podcast in a post that we're going to link in the show notes. And of course, he is the author of that. He graduated from Mayo Clinic in 1999, ready to conquer the world. And here he was working as a family physician in Southern California, my hometown originally, and he enjoyed medicine, but he wanted something else in life. Lo and behold, 2003, an event occurred that really just spurned and changed his life and changed the direction of his life, which I'm sure we are gonna get into. And here he was, he was a doctor working 67, the 80 hours a week. So he had to make a change and he made a decision to go all foreborn into his own online business. And then since that time it was sold and he started others. Today he has an online, online site, Bootstrap MD, which was created to help work with like-minded doctors who are ready to be their own boss and take control of their physician life. Please help me welcome Mike Wooming, MD from Bootstrap MD. Welcome, Mike. Dave, that was a wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. And I'm honored to be on your podcast, having listened to so many episodes uh, and just want to commend you on what you've been doing and helping other doctors uh, learn about financial freedom because it's a subject that not a lot of them really like to talk about out loud, to be honest with you. Well, Mike, that's a good tactic. Butter up your host. Butter up your host. We'll be throwing <laughs> softballs all day. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's great to have you here. I think what's so fun is always to learn from others' experiences. And you've done some things that are very unusual and different and having to have to turn away from medicine. And so I want to get into the story of, of why you did that. But before we do, uh, in this podcast, I just want to know more about you. Uh, you're living on the West Coast now. Is that a place that you grew up? up or were you someplace else before that? So I actually was born in Columbus, Ohio, but my dad was a pediatric uh, resident, a pediatrician in, in Ohio State, but uh, quickly we moved over to the West Coast. I was grew up in the Bay Area. I've always been surrounded by doctors. As I mentioned, my dad was a doctor, my mom, she's a registered nurse, just recently retired at 77. I've got an uncle who's a thoracic surgeon, a cousin's dermatologist. But uh, yeah, basically, my mom said, uh, I can either be a doctor, a lawyer, or a banker. And I didn't know what a banker was, <laughs> and I didn't do really do well in debate, so... I guess a doctor is, uh, was the best choice for me. So was that something that you, she told you at a really young age? You know, where you're like five and your mom's telling you <laughs> you have to be a doctor? Or is this more a high school conversation? Well, not to stereotype Asian moms, but I will. But maybe it was like four. No, but uh, they encouraged me to do other things. So for example, I was involved in, in high school. I was involved in my, my school newspaper. I wanted to go into journalism, but what my dad told me, he says, look, Mike, you know, journalists, sounds good. They don't make a lot of money, unfortunately, but with an MD, you can do anything that you want. And so I kind of stuck with that. So I was still involved in journalism, but you know, in my, my medical school newspaper, I was, one of the, I was in one of the editors, but there's still something with an MD that's so important that really gives you that built-in credibility that you really can't get anywhere else. So in this particular case, I mean, was it something that you kind of felt forced into then, kind of with both parents egging you on? Was it something that, that you did have a passion for? You know, what, what was that like for you? I think, you know, after I got exposed to being involved in, like, for example, you know, volunteering at a hospital later on in college, you know, I was one of those um, who kind of like peaked, like when they were like in kindergarten. <laughs> So I, one time I had an IQ of like in 160 and I got a skip a grade and I graduated 
college at 16. So uh-huh. I really didn't know, you know, what there was. Now, what I did learn in college, which was a lot of different things, and, <laughs> but be honest, I wasn't very um, motivated or didn't have really the discipline at the beginning that where I wanted to be. So um, I got to understand, like got exposed to how beneficial it could be in terms of medicine and learning that I can do other different things. And I really kind of bucked down and got serious. Um, I ended up in Michigan and I ended up getting into medical school in Detroit. You know, looking back, I would have still chosen to be a doctor. There's no other profession. I'm still proud to be a physician and helping people. I still encourage my kids to be be involved in medicine, but I also understood I'd let them to do whatever they want to be. Interesting. So do you think that you graduated college at 16? Did I get that right? No, no, no. High school. I wasn't that. High school. <laughs> high school. High yeah. school at 16. So, but still, I mean, awfully young to be graduating high school and you get in, get right into college. Did you take some time off between college and medical school then? Yeah, I ended up, you know, at the beginning of my, my college career, you know, again, I had to fight that pre-med thing. And uh, I didn't think I had the grades enough to get into medical school. So I did, uh, I got a master's degree and I ended up going to University of Michigan on a scholarship. And I really wanted to be an epidemiologist, get involved in, in finding out the sources of food outbreak infections and things like that. Then I didn't want to do the traveling. And then, you know, really, when I got serious, I go, you know what, I want to go, let's give this medicine a shot. And I ended up, you know, just staying in Michigan. And uh, unfortunately, I don't use my master's of public health that much uh, these days. But I think it did give me a different experience in terms of life experiences. Uh, You know, we'd be involved in things like going into the the outer reaches of Michigan in terms of, you know, water outbreaks or, um, sorry, um, infections and things like that and understanding and not just going into straight hard science all the time. Um, Although I was catered towards, you know, we were taught to do, you know, the regular hospital science. I was always interested in other things like computers and um, I was involved in things like acupuncture or different types of medicine. Um, And, you know, currently I have an age management clinic, so I was exposed to different types of ways, uh, different, different methods of healing than just the traditional conventional ways of healing, which did make me kind of an outlier in Mayo Clinic, but uh, uh, they still hit me up for uh, uh, donations. Well, well <laughs> gr- growing up in an Asian family, too, I have to imagine that the collision of Eastern medicine and Western medicine, even though your, your dad was a pediatrician at Ohio State, at least for a time, and then moved to the West Coast, that, that still was probably a big influence on your life. It, it was. It was. Um, but we were definitely you know, more Americanized than most. Uh, sure. It really was, it really was my interest in just when I seeing patients and there's some ways that medicine helps, but then there's other ways that medicine cannot help. Uh, and I just want to see what other ways that people can get better besides just giving medications. Still something we're, we're struggling with today. Well, I know Bo, my friend Bo Lu, who's also been on the podcast, we'll have to link to his uh, previous podcast in the show notes. He, he has talked about how in the, he came from China, moved to the United States, and he talked about that in, in China that the goal of most um, people is to buy real estate, for example, in cash, that you don't use debt at all. Um, right. So as, as you were going into college, was were your parents determined not to let you get into debt? Uh, what was that like as you were going through that, that journey of undergrad and master's and then medical school? Um, I don't think they cared too much, actually, if I went into debt, to be honest with you. Interesting. Um, uh, they did help, they paid for my college, um, Mm -hmm. but university, though back, you know, I'm going to age myself, but it was in the 80s. It wasn't that expensive. Um, you know, some who are, who are younger millennials listening to it. I went to UC San Diego, which was $600 a quarter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it wasn't that bad. Um, I did end up getting a, a partial scholarship to Michigan where I did grad school. Um, and so basically the only student loans I had was was medical school. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, compared to what they're getting to these, it wasn't too bad. Um, I've done some, you know, I've had done some public health. I worked for public health, Indian health, Indian um reservation I worked on so I got some of that kind of taken off but it really wasn't that big a deal it's just something that's kind of um, you know like they say in business you have to there's certain things that you have to pay for and that was kind of the things that you have to pay for really wasn't any way getting around it Um, 
but basically compared to the, the $300,000 of student yeah. debt that many of them have now i mean it's it, it was relatively small back then medicine in general it paid better uh, than it does today relatively um so I, you just have to be able to look though when we can kind of yeah. out but there are still ways that you can you just have to be a little bit more creative in terms of what you want so was it important to you in terms of you know with money you know were you moving away from that penny pinching it sounds like that you hate coupons you know what what was your your financial journey like as you're getting out of medical school and you're in residency um or did you what was that like for you what was interesting is is basically after college in terms of revenue um i was pretty much on my own in terms of you know parents supporting me um you know even even though we made pretty good money in as a doctor, you know, we put, you know, have the, the most expensive house on the block. I still worked at McDonald's in high school. I still, mm. I had a paper route when I was 12. So in terms of, it wasn't like I just got a silver spoon and everything was paid for. Most mm. of my money in terms of like what I wanted for, you know, to spend on comic book, video games, entertainment that was for my own money. So I had to save up for that uh, Atari. <laughs> I had to mm-hmm. save up for those things that, that I wanted to get. And, and and so, again, I think it did instill me in terms of you understanding money. But on one hand, he, my parents were thrifty. But on the other hand, they were very generous. So if you came in and you knocked on our door and it was for some type of charity, you know, he'd give you... A, whatever he had, you know, pretty much it was, it was, Mm. so in in that standpoint, it was money, but it can also be used as a tool for helping, for, for giving. Um, And I think only later on did I learn, you know, the way that I envisioned money back then is a lot, is a little bit different than how I envision money now, where I, I envision more of abundance that it's already, there's money that's out there. And it's readily available. You just need to be able to have a means of acquiring it. Whereas so how does before, that compare? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, how does that compare to before? Well, before, in terms of money, it was just like the only money that you would have, you would be given a certain amount. And um, then you would have to allocate that to to do for paying the rent, for providing food on the table. And it wasn't until I understand about building businesses is that there's money that is already available that is out there and how you can use, if you have services and products that people will want, they will, they will reward you by giving you that money if you can provide a solution to whatever problem that is out there. And that's something that I didn't understand. I thought that, for example, you can't make you can only make a certain amount, you know, as a doctor. For example, if you're a primary care physician or a pediatrician, you're on the lower end of um, uh, in terms of your salary compared to other doctors, and that's all you're doing. But if you understand, is if you create a vehicle that you can provide a, a solution to people's problems, they can in, in fact you know, give you the money back. And we could talk more about that in terms of, um, you know, different businesses that I've done. Uh, you know, some of the things that I've been able to do where I made more in one day than I did in one month as a doctor. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, those days are great when they come, but it was just the idea is that finding that there are other ways that you can generate revenue besides just a salary is what um, really got me excited Uh and, uh, and and that's why I envisioned money a little bit differently. So w- was there a turning point for you, Mike, where, where that, that happened? Uh, I know we're going to talk here in a moment, or maybe go into it now, about this life event that hit you when you were practicing medicine. Uh, when when did that shift happen for you? Do you remember that moment? Or perhaps it was a series of moments that led up to Yeah, that. actually, I think what happened, the, there were basically two big moments in, in terms of my life, two or three big moments where I kind of just, I flipped the switch in my head. And one was during residency. Um, I mentioned I was at Mayo Clinic and my wife had also 
we was in Michigan and we we came to the, to uh, Mayo Clinic in Arizona, and this was in the mid '90s, and I was working as a intern, and my wife was pregnant uh, at, in that year, and at about the time she was about to. When we found out that she was pregnant, it was great, and then it was like, uh-oh. And the reason being is, I know you've talked about, and you've had guests talk about, one of the cardinal sins that you can do in residency is buy a house. I think yes. I've heard that a few times, right? Yes. Well, yes. And unfortunately, they didn't have podcasts back in the mid-90s for me to gather that wealth of information. And so we bought a house. My wife was make, was a librarian. And I was working as a resident, you know, intern resident, getting a certain stipend. And my wife, when she got pregnant, it was like, awesome, but she's going to go on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And I had to figure out a way to replace that income. Mm. So what are my options? I can work more. So what was I going to do? Um, and I didn't want to take any more, more loans. So there's one thing that I had done in medical school is I was one of the things that I did my fourth year was medical informatics was being involved in computers and medicine and so Dave I'm going to date myself again but this is like 1995 Mm -hmm. and my wife as I mentioned she was in library school and one day she brought home something in library school was a was a disc um, a three point was a three and a half inch disc and on the title, it said Netscape Navigator. <laughs> uh, so you're laughing, you know. <laughs> so that was the first browser for, for some of you young folks on there. It was one of the first browsers in terms of the web. And uh, so I was playing around with it. And I was just playing around with this thing called the World Wide Web. I get so excited because I can see a picture. It takes about three minutes to actually see it. <laughs> but this was amazing. So one of the things that I did when and then when I was involved in internship is I was in charge of building the website for our residency, for our family medicine residency. Because, hey, Mike's a, you know, he's kind of a computer nerd. He likes this kind of stuff. We'll give, do him, give him this. So um, as I mentioned, in my fourth year, I was involved with medical informatics. I got involved in, in medical software. So I'd have like all these different medical software come in that we, we would uh, review. And then I was involved in creating a, a website for my residency, but my what? Like yeah, so I, I I got a book and learned about HTML and kind of self self educated myself, self taught myself HTML. I built a decent looking website. It'd be horrible looking now, but you know for it. But what was happening? Just getting getting to my story is, I was one of the first websites out there that dealt with medical education in terms of residencies. We created what were called guest books back then. Um, you know, where people could leave information or leave, you know, basically like a blog where you could leave comments. We called it a guest book back then. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is not only had people who were interested about the residency, but I would have all these people from around the world starting asking me questions about how to get into medical school, how to get into medical residency, um, and just started asking me all of these different questions. There would be time, Dave, where I would have a hundred questions with people asking me all these different questions. They say, "Hey, Mike, I see you. You know, you got a Mayo Clinic, pretty good school. How do you do it?" Da 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 da. You know, I give advice like, you know, here's what you need to do. Here's, you know, how to when you go get an interview. Here are some questions you have to have. Da 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 da. And I was just doing it because I was just helping people. That was the time that my wife was, you know, was was pregnant, and I go, "Hey, guys, I've got a lot of." I don't, you know, I really appreciate you asking all of these questions, but, you know, I'm having some personal issues right now. So almost as an aside, Dave, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to um, put together a frequently asked questions on how to get into the residency of your choice, but I'm going to charge you, uh, so just pay me $15, you know, send it to me and I'll send this to you. Remember what I was saying is that providing solutions to what, what people want and you know they'll reward you with with money. Just write a check for fifteen dollars and send it to my home address. And then I learned a lesson: never give your home address <laughs> to strangers. But that was the only way I deposit. And then I learned like maybe I shouldn't put my name, and maybe I should form a uh, learn how to like form a bank account. Take a long story short. After that little side, the next week I get all these checks in the mail for fifteen dollars, mm. and I was like, 
whoa, this might help. And then realized that if you have information that people will want, it didn't matter if it was $15. I then realized I could charge a little bit higher mm-hmm. <laughs> for what I was doing. So I, you know, I increased it because they just wanted a solution, you know, how to do that. So what ended up happening was my little aside ended up being a little small business for us. Um, I'm not telling you we got rich, but it helped us. It's what a great story and and uh, a great life experience. There's uh, it reminds me of a lot of salespeople that I know, which I don't necessarily recommend this, but they they increase their lifestyle and then they say, oh, I have to go out and sell more in order to meet that that lifestyle need. Right, a new car. You buy a new car. Oh, now I got to pay for the car, and so they they go out and sell stuff in order to to pay for it. And it's, it's a very different way of thinking, like you mentioned, from being a physician and having a comfortable salary. Uh, is that something that you've, you've continued in your life, Mike, or, or has that uh, experience scared you enough into, um, I got to make sure not to overextend myself? I'm very, you know, I would say I, I'm pretty frugal and, um, you know, I definitely would never want to be into that circumstances. So, um, you know, one of the things that you know, I do is I do work with a, different doctors. And, you know, they want to, for example, we help them, they want to start their own business. But, you know, I'll get them on the phone and we talk about their passion, what they do. And then I talk to them the next month and they haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're lazy or not because they're doing They just they're they're going to get to it you know it's 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 it but it's not first a priority for them and it's and it's because one because they've got their mortgage paid and they've got their uh you know the bills paid and this is more of a hobby kind of to them so they're not really having the motivation to actually go out and do it so i don't advise selling your car and, and doing that just you know to do that but I think you kind of have a mindset that, and unfortunately, there's a definitely a mindset for entrepreneurs that you need to experience to actually want to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, you know, if you're comfortable with, with what you're doing in, in terms of your salary and, and that's what you want to do, and that's fine. Um, I was recently, I forgot what I was reading, you know, something on the web, but if you want to be uh, you know, wealthy or degenerate revenue, they feel that you have to have three major components to building that wealth. One is some type of salary, uh, a regular type of salary. The second thing is to invest. So things like the, you know, White Coast investor. In, 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 in. And the third thing is to have some type of vehicle um, where it's almost limitless about in terms of your revenue that you bring in. And for me, that usually comes in terms of being an entrepreneur or having some type of business. I'm not saying that's the correct way, but that's what I've been seeing in terms of, um, you know, millionaires who I know who do well. um, That's where I see them, that they have those three components in place. And that's what I've kind of followed in my life. I I can't agree enough. I mean, if you can, you can make it work kind of no matter your situation, I think to your point, um, but the very comfortable and, and very wealthy, I'd say multi-millionaires, which that's one of the goals of this podcast is to help create a hundred new physician multimillionaires of our listeners that listen into the podcast. And so if you want to be a multimillionaire, I think that's a great recipe for success. All right. Well, let's take a pause here for a second and go to our commercial break. Maybe you're sitting here right now wondering, how am I ever going to be able to pay off this debt? Or maybe you're thinking, I am so confused by this financial lingo. I need to get a better handle on this financial stuff. Or maybe you are thinking of buying your first home or getting a new job. Or maybe you are wondering how you can keep insurance cheap. And that's why, my friends, this month I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life is about to become available. We've been at this for years, and it is coming out soon. The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life. This book is over 300 pages, and it is packed with tons and tons of actual content. 
It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially. Whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even a longer term practicing physician. So here's what you need to do. Text Dr. Book to 44222. And I will let you know the second it is available to buy. As a matter of fact, I'll even give you a discount. This book, my friends, it's co-authored with past podcast guests, John Apino from Contract Diagnostics and Amanda Liu from Dr. Wise Money. When you buy the book, you are not only investing in your financial future, you are also taking part in a really important charitable mission. And that's because the profits of the Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life will be given to the Physician's Support Initiative and to the college funds for Amanda's daughter. And we're doing this because you may remember that Amanda tragically passed away about a year ago. And this charitable mission is being done in her memory. Because this charitable mission is so, so, so important to me, I'm only going to offer this discount through the end of the year. And then we're going to sell the book at retail price because we want to raise as much money as we possibly can. So to snag your copy now, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. And now back to the show. One of the podcasts I'm going to be talking about in the future that should be coming out after this one is this whole idea of, of mountains of money versus rivers of cash. And it's, it's an interesting idea where someone like a Robert Kiyosaki tends to lean more on the uh, rivers of cash. Uh, someone like Jim Dolly, the white coat investor, tends to be on the mountains of cash side, build up you know big old mountains and swim in it like Scrooge McDuck. Uh, so <laughs> it's um, and then you withdraw a certain percentage from that. And I agree with you that I think the right answer is in between uh, that you do both of those things. Uh, so don't go too much towards towards one side if you want to be a multimillionaire. Millionaire that way you have multiple assets and multiple things to. Um, fall back on. Now, let me um, transition to after residency. So you started practice in 1999, uh, partied like uh, it was 1999, and um, you were enjoying life, and then a life event hit you as you were in practice. Now, what year was this, Mike? So you started in 99, then this life event happened that you're going to tell us about. What year was this? This was 2003, is when I, when this happened. So I ended up practicing in a group practice um, of in primary care in northern San Diego, uh, where I still live today. Um, and you know, I was the the new guy. You know, for the first few years, you know, I had to buy in. It was a shareholder agreement, um, and being the new guy in family practice, you had the luxury of spending all your holidays on call. <laughs> in the hospital right. so yep. you, you would have uh, you know christmas eve and new year's and basically what ended up happening to me was it's actually two kind of experiences um the first one was as it was on a christmas eve and it was in the hospital in the emergency room it's about probably four in the morning you know and in terms of doctors, who was there, it was, it was me, and let's just call him Dr. Smith. And, and Dr. Smith was a solo family practitioner who was probably in his mid-60s, not the picture of health. You know, he was overweight, uh, you know, he, he was really cantankerous, kind of had a reputation of being very short. Uh, with patients and things like that. I always got along with them. I tried to get along with, with most. But he was he and I were the only ones that were working up our patients to admit it. And I talked I talked to you know Dr. Smith and I said, Hey, you know, shouldn't you be at home? You know, Christmas Eve and all and and basically after long story short and just talking, he was basically he couldn't afford to be off Christmas Eve. <sighs> that was like a shot in the gut. You know, here's me, the new, the new doctor, relatively in the first four years, and I'm like, look at myself. Is this what I have to look forward to in 20, 30, 40 years? I was getting increasingly frustrated, you know, and it was just such a one incident. But over time, I was just like, there's got to be a different way. And and kind of to follow up on that second point time, that year was when I found out that my son was autistic. 
and he was four. Um, again, this is in early 2000s. Autism wasn't this, you know, the fancy disease that you hear about all the time. It seems like it's in vogue, uh, but it's a real struggle. Uh, most people who are uh, in families who are, have aut- autism in their family, I think that's something crazy, like half of them get a divorce just because of all the strain and stress that it could put it on. Um, mm-hmm. But so with that and just kind of seeing myself in a mirror, I said, I I need to do something. You know, um, I want to be there. And what happened was when I went to my CEO of my my uh, my small group that I was in, who is not an MD, but that's, <laughs> that's another <laughs> issue I had. Mm-hmm. But um, when I told him that I wanted to reduce my amount of hours because I want to really be involved with, with Ryan, my, my son, who is autistic, um, to be involved in his care, he pretty much told me that I couldn't reduce my hours. Mm. And um, that there really was an option. I was just too important to the group. I was, because basically they put me to do everything. So I was urgent care director. I was in charge of nursing homes. I was in, of course, I was in charge of the EMR being my techie a nerdy part of my <laughs> didn't get paid for all these different things, but I was in charge of all of these different things. Um, so he basically told me um, that no, you can't go part time. It would be impossible <laughs> to do it. So mm. um, that's when I it kind of that thing that I did back in residency. I kind of looked at that again about building businesses, and that the way that I said if I'm going to be able to do this, I need to have a plan. And I got to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, you know, I, I won't talk about the different things that I've done. I was involved in the, the um, in the mid-90s. I got involved in um, startups, uh, internet startups back in the 2000s. I could, I could send you copies of uh, um, the, the checks that I received from uh, startups that went completely belly up. <laughs> <laughs> that I invested in. I made some, you know, I'm not saying that I'm just saying I've had a lot of failures in terms of things. I invested in a, a med spa in Belize. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. That I never had set foot in, but I helped invest in things. And it showed me, you know, one of the things I learned about if you're going to do investing, you should do invest in things that you know about. Yes. And you understand so the the one thing that, that that what helped me to do this was I got back into understanding about marketing and internet marketing. And back then in 2003, 2004, there was these books that were coming out. Um, you had mentioned uh, Kiyosaki. So The Cashflow Quadrant is probably one of my favorite books. So... That book came out. There are books called Multiple Streams of Income. And it got Over me down. back. Yeah, it got me an understanding about that. And, and I wrote, um, I had a, uh, a uh, guru, for lack of a better term, or a mentor that I had who was pretty well known in your marketing these days. But he got me involved in writing an ebook. I go, you guys are, who are listening to this is go, well, this isn't anything that's earth shattering. But back in 2003, it was pretty earth-shattering to me, um, and it was writing an ebook in kind of the same philosophy. If you have a solution to people's problems that can help them, they will pay you for that information. Kind of the same topic we talked about when I was involved in, in medical school for my uh, residency and, and that information. So he taught me I needed to create write an ebook. So I wrote an ebook on told me to on something that I know. So I wrote it about how to save money on prescription medications was my book. And who, who was the guru that you were um, Frank Kern is, uh, he's probably one of the most well-known, um, but I've had a series of different uh, gurus like John Reese, uh, Frank Kern. Um, you know, he never merely mentored me, but I would be listening to things like Tony Robbins back in the day. Yep. Probably the only yep. one in medical school. You know, he didn't personally interview. But that, those types of... Um, uh, educators that, that that help me get involved. Well, let, yeah, let me interrupt real quick, Mike. Because I'm really curious. You know, as you're going through this stuff, you mentioned before this really kind of caught caught my my thought process about how you go through something like autism, 
not to mention the schedule that you were going through and divorce is something that happens a lot. Uh, if, if you could, I'd love to know what, what was your relationship with your wife like during this tumultuous time period for you? Cause I have to imagine with you working so many hours, she's covering the family might've been stressed out. Uh, what was going on between the two of you at that time? It wasn't easy. Uh, it wasn't easy. Um, We've always been positive people, and we do really good at trying not to take things out, you know, on each other. But it was it was tough. Um, she was actually um, working as a special education teacher, which I think, in terms of helping cope, I think that helped her uh, because she was able to understand and she was able to connect with other moms and dads uh, that were involved in that. Um, but it was, it was a bit tough and we were able to, to, to make it through. Um, he has an older brother that has been very supportive and kind of there for him as well. And we're certainly lucky. Uh, we certainly know families who are very, who have really challenging autistic, uh, children. Uh, my son, he's now 18 and, uh, you know, he, you know, he left, he's out of high school now, he, intelligence he can tell you all the different microsoft window versions there have been since uh uh-huh. <laughs> bill gates he can tell you you know who you know he knows steve jobs he knows all the different like say operating systems he knows yeah there's some just some things that that he's done and it you know in in mind and and you know kind of where i come from you know, again, this is my, more of my personal beliefs. And, you know, I believe in God and, and, and Jesus. And I believe that it was placed here, maybe, for a challenge, you know, for our family. So that's how we kind of took it on. You know, we, 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 we took it on as, at least for me personally, um, that's how I come, you know, okay, this is what we're given. Now, what are we going to do about it? What we have to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I take that same philosophy in life that I do in terms of problems in my business and problems in my family. Um, that's kind of how I always am. So, I mean, that's kind of how I always, and in, in, that's how I kind of leave my life is I try to be as positive as positive can be. Maybe a little bit of passive aggressiveness kind of <laughs> enters in there <laughs> at times. Uh, and But uh, we tend to keep things light uh, for the most part, but, you know, focusing on solutions is, is what I'm, I like to pride myself on. That's good. That's good. Well, you guys made it through. And so you, you end up leaving medicine, a very hard decision as, as a family. Um, and it's 2004 now at, at some point you, you got back into the online, um, business. So tell us, tell us about that journey and what happened uh, next after you left medicine. Well, yeah. So let me focus back because it really comes back to that, that what I was talking about is I was writing this ebook on how to save money on prescription medications. And um, so I put up this ebook and just as an aside and, and it's like 50 pages, but mm. 35 pages are of text, but 15 are of like illustrations. <laughs> mm. And it was just like, Oh, and he told me to put it in for $20. And so I, Launched it. I did everything right. I sold five. <laughs> sold five. <laughs> so, but what it told me was, I made those five though, and this is the this is a good one of those aha moments. Was when I was sleeping. So I made those orders when I was sleeping. Um, and even though I probably spent thousands of dollars and you know time working on it, that hundred dollars I made from those five copies of that book, selling at twenty dollars each, it showed me hey, there's another way that I can make revenue than actually just working. And so what that led to, that little ebook led me into was the idea that you can create products. So I ended up creating a lot of different products on the web that continued to pay with me. So I would create these little ebooks and things like that. And uh, it eventually, um, after a couple of years, it actually made more than my income that I was making as a doctor. And so I created a little publishing company um, that... Basically, once I figured out how to do this, it actually, you know, cemented the amount of money that I was generating as a doctor. And so when I told my wife that I wanted to leave medicine, so you're talking about how did that go? 
it didn't go very yeah. well. <laughs> and if you know, if you know uh, most, um, when I told her that I wanted to leave, and uh, and I never told my mother because I was so chicken. <laughs> But uh, my, we actually came to a conclusion that, you know, why don't you leave that job? And then I ended up working for um, the uh, Indian Health. And, uh, but I worked uh-huh. part-time. And, um, but what led that to me is I ended up connecting um, with another world besides medicine, and that was uh, the Internet Entrepreneur World. Well, there's and there's there's so many different opportunities like yourself. I, I think it sounds like if if I got this right that you worked on a Indian reservation, so you were able to generate a a steady salary of some sort, so to speak. But then you were able to at the same time had more time to pursue some of these other passions. And today there's so many different locums opportunities that physicians could easily recreate that in many different ways if they were in a situation like yourself where you're just unhappy and and um, want to pursue other things, but still want to be able to make money practicing medicine, at least for a time. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a lot of different reasons why my doctors have trouble with this. Um, and I can certainly relate um, because when I told my mo- mother, like after I left, she thought it was like ill that like, is there something wrong with you? You know? Um, and, uh, why don't you want to be a doctor? Well, I wasn't happy. Well, what else? <laughs> was that it? Yeah. yeah. Was, that, was that it? Well, okay. Um, but I think with doctors, I think it's because, and I still get this expectation and, and, and to let you know, just like, I'm still in practice today. Um, but I have my own clinic. I work my own hours. I work probably less than half time, um, you know, doing it. Uh, but it's just one of my other businesses that I have to work in. Um, but the idea is that doctors, because we spent all this time going into medical school, there's these things that is tearing away from us, this guilt uh, that we have. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that it's right. But we have, you feel like we have this obligation that if we, if this one doctor leaves, that we are disappointing our family our friends the community when i see when i'm looking back i think i've been unemployable (laughs) (laughs) i think when it comes down to it i'm just unemployable and i'm not really good with bosses i'm not good with especially with bosses who shouldn't be bosses who are performing (laughs) non-medical the the the, uh, growth of administration over the physician population is crazy well i I would i would love to know uh because you mentioned your mom what about your dad was he still still with us at that time or had he he was um, he was and he um he's also kind of unemployable too (laughs) Ah. yeah and he would um he tended to uh um he you know has his own uh He's not. He's not working anymore. But in the end, he ended. He ended up having a, a practice, and he ended up um, involved in uh, different types of businesses. And he always did things on the side from, uh, uh, you know, Amway, and uh, you know all those multi-level marketing things that uh, I, I still remember that we'd have. And you know, he never really made money on that, but he was always looking for something else, hmm. you know, do. So he actually supported me you know, when I want to do it. And, uh, you know, he's told me he's proud, uh, you know, that, that I've, uh, um, you know, you know, for my own different businesses. Uh, but he was also, you know, he's involved in the government. So we had people who were, that he felt shouldn't be the boss telling him what to do with different things. And, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, he was, he was okay with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess it's important to, and, and especially if you're an entrepreneur, it's good to have that s- the support. Well, I think it's why uh, one of our past podcast guests, Pamela Weibel, has has, uh, been able to um, prosper so much in what she's doing uh, with starting a movement where you you just cut out a lot of the administration and the BS and go go straight back to the doctor-patient relationship. Um, Well, I would love to know uh, um, in terms of that software business that you you sold not too long ago, Mm -hmm. 
you, you're obviously you you built a d- number of different businesses. Some didn't work out. Some you sold five copies of uh, <laughs> with some of the eBooks. Um, w- when you finally had one that was successful, why in the world would you now turn around and sell it? Now that you made it, now that you're doing good with the business. Um, so for my particular uh, software company we had, it was a uh, lead generation software product. It came out in I think 2007. Um, there's a whole bunch of different uh, leads in different areas, you know, financial, mortgage, you know, me- me- medical, different types of leads where people would pay, depending on what the type of leads is, let's say $20, $50 a lead. So what we did is we generated a software, which back in the day was pretty innovative, where it basically harvested a lot of these different leads on the internet using a software uh, that we had that we ended up selling uh, to the masses. So it was doing very, very well during that time. Um, You know, it was a seven-figure business. Um, But just like as in anything, especially in the tech industry, you're going to end up getting competitors. And we were probably one of the first in terms of lead software in the real estate market where we were in that really that came out and what ended up happening is we had a lot of competitors and we just kind of saw the writing on the wall and you know I'm still good friends with our business partner and it was that time is like he wanted to go in a different direction um but probably Dave one of the biggest reasons why I sold it is during that time I was involved also I've also worked with doctors who were involved in entrepreneurship and I had a doctor who was from Texas who had emailed me and said, Mike, I got this letter from the state uh, telling me that if I don't start seeing patients, because she'd also been out of medicine, they're going to require me to go back to medical school. And you'll have to pay up to $50,000 for you to do that. And that's when I learned, some say, you know, I get these questions is, because I do know some doctors who are out of medicine who are in non-clinical, and one of my doctor friends is a neurosurgeon. He says, Mike, whatever you do, try to see a couple patients once a month, even if you're not in practice, because you want to keep your MD. Try to have something, and obviously, of course, document it appropriately, but you want to start seeing patients because, you know, we're in a doctor shortage, and we want they want them to make sure that doctors are still capable, but they're going to require you to go into special training if you've been out for a while, which makes sense. I'm going to go back into medicine and... Um, you mentioned locums. So I was able to, you know, keep my license. Um, certainly there are some states that are more uh, lenient than others. But I ended up in, uh, I think it was 2009. And just like you said, I got to start seeing this. I don't want to go back into to medical school. I, I ended up taking a locums job. And then I realized <laughs> after I did my first pap smear again <laughs> in a while mm-hmm. that I don't want to do this again. <laughs> Again, this is just for me. I was involved in primary care. So what I did was I ended up um, using that money to invest in my own practice. I have my own clinic, and um, it's called Executive Medical. It's in North County, and we do um, a whole bunch of different things. I would say it's like a weight loss clinic, an age management type of clinic. And I have, you know, PA and nurse practitioner staff and uh I just basically utilized my marketing and business knowledge, and we're probably one of the few cash-paying practices in San Diego County, so we're really proud about that, um, and we're profitable, so that's another thing we're proud about. You, you got to look good on the beach out there in San Diego. You got to. You have beach to. bodies in there. So. Not in Minnesota? <laughs> You know, uh, no. <laughs> you got you got lutefisk and snow, and uh, you have tanning salons. But exactly, outside of that, yeah. you know, it's, I, I'm I'm sure there's a segment of the population, but it's not a big deal out here. So, um, Mike, I I do want to um, try and wrap this up here in the next few minutes, and there's there's so much I'd love to to talk more about and all this stuff, but. Um, one of the things I noticed on your website today on Bootstrap MD is that you have a mastermind. Mm-hmm. And uh, folks probably don't know, because I haven't really talked about this before, that I've been involved in several masterminds. Oh, uh, one that I've ran, uh, a couple that other people have ran. And it's been something that it's been great, it's been fun, but at the same time, it's really, really frustrating, particularly when you're running one. It's it's not an easy uh, deal. I'm guessing being involved with Frank Kern, um, that uh, you've certainly and been in this online world. You've been involved in a number of different 
mastermind. So first, for those that, that may not know, and I talk about this in the Freedom Formula for Physicians book about what a mastermind is, but you want to fill people in on, on what that is and what you are doing with masterminds? Yeah, so mastermind is a, a term that was, uh, what was I saying, the turn of the 20th century. Um, if you've ever read you know, the book Think and Grow Rich, um, that's where kind of the term came about. And it was the idea that, um, you know, if you in back in, back in those days when businesses, um, heads of businesses, so you'd have like the railroad, the railroad, the banking industry, you know, the uh, the Andrew Carnegie's, they would all come together in a room and they would talk about the problems, you know, what's going on with their mm-hmm. business. And what was what was great about it was you'd have different types of industries so they could see things from a different perspective or a different way of looking at things. And the idea is that the goal, and there's different goals for different things, but most masterminds are in terms of generating more wealth or generating more revenue and uh, you know fixing the problems in your business so everybody can share information and the idea that you would all uh, increase and support each other. And I've been through uh, a lot of different types of masterminds uh, that have, just like yourself, they've been great and some of them have just like been junk. Um, I think one of the things that that you hear about and it's so true is when you want in a mastermind you want to be the dumbest person in that room <laughs> mm-hmm. you want to have people who are if you're a, a millionaire you want to have people in there who are multimillionaires. Uh, you want to have people from different types of experiences there um, and my masterminds that you know I run through bootstrap MD is I'll have different types of, uh, you know, doctors, but from different types of different perspectives. You'll have people who are new to entrepreneurship, but you also want people who are seasoned entrepreneurs. For example, I've worked with guys who've had like, you know, sold a million copies of their app. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. some who've been on, uh, you know, television on the, you know, shows on financial shows like, uh, you know, Underhead Boss and things like that. Um, I think the, the important part is, I think that's the key part is you want to be, you know, like I said, again, doctors don't want to, I'm being self-deprecating, but you truly want to have the one where you can share from different types of different experiences. If you're having a problem with um, getting out your email to a thousand people on your list, you want a guy who's running like tens of thousands of emails and knows all the different ways to get past the spam filters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you want to get different perspectives. And and the reason why I love masterminds is because it helped me develop those seven-figure businesses that I was in. I met those people because we belong into different types of uh, masterminds. Um, there are certainly ones that you can do on your own. You know, uh, we have one that I've ran for a few years and I'm going to start up again just here in San Diego that I've done in my offices. We'd meet every few months and then I have one where I've had to you know we go across country and you stay in a, a hotel for two or three days and just meeting people in, in different types of uh, businesses and I encourage you to do that especially an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs can be very lonely uh, it's a lonely experience sometimes especially if you're running an online business as I know you've been delving into Dave um, mm-hmm. and it's good to have somebody like hey you know, you know that uh, that site you bought on Empire Flippers. Well, here's your problem. You need this, 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 this. And that's right, what we right. did, and this is what uh, and we just made a million dollars doing that. That's a good place to be in, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, having different perspectives, it can certainly be different when you're running it because when you're running it and you're kind of the leader of it and you are the only one who has those different experiences, it's not so much a mastermind. Um, and I had that problem, uh, too, when I was first starting out. And so uh, one of the requirements that we're putting out in our masterminds is they've had to have some type of business experience. Mm-hmm. Because you can't ha- share the same amount of high-level information if you're, if you're having to educate one person on, well, how do I make a landing page? What does uh, an opt-in mean? You, you can't have that. So you um, you have to have some type of criteria. Um, you have to know that people are serious and some create masterminds where people have to pay. I've certainly paid a lot of money to be in some of these masterminds. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of them are crazy expensive. Crazy like expensive. 50K to 100K and, to uh, get into some high-level ones. Right. And there, there's some that are... And then there, 
that sounds outrageous, but I can tell you there's some who would say they would pay that in a heartbeat because of what it led to. And certainly there's some that are better than others. And it just comes from, you know, doing your due diligence and finding out which ones are real and which ones are not. But it's the idea that um, they have to have some skin in the game when, you, when, you, when you're going into. Um, but uh, Well, and some, some can be free, which is what I've ran. is just kind of a free mastermind of, of other um, business owners uh, because I got tired of paying money to other people. So exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just created my own rather than having to shell out 700 to $1,000 a month to, to, to someone else, which was, was good value. But... Um, the the amount of value I was getting out of it, I figured I could do on my own as well. But what I didn't know was uh, how how hard it is to get people to appreciate something that they're not paying for. So um, that's uh, that's a, that's a lesson there for people to um, oh, yeah. think about. Yeah, that- well, Mike, as, as we wrap up the interview here, I'd love to know uh, in your life as you reflect back on all these different businesses, all these different ventures, uh, having practiced medicine, um, having owned a house that you talked about earlier in residency, what do you think the, the biggest financial mistake you've made along the way is? Oh, wow. This is going to hit me in the gut. <laughs> I think the biggest financial mistake, um, I, I think it, it comes down to one is I didn't invest in eBay when I could have back in 1999. <laughs> then number two, uh, because I had to pay, uh, I could have put $100,000 in this or I had to put $100,000 in medical school. But no, but I think the biggest mistake is what, what I've learned is investing in, and I mentioned this earlier, investing in things I didn't understand. Yeah. Um, and I, and yes. And I think, I think I was it on your podcast. I heard it said before is that doctors tend to be like, they just groan <laughs> when they, we work with doctors because you give them yeah. sound advice and they'll end up, you know, investing in a medical spawn Belize. <laughs> um, <laughs> because most doctors and, as a doctor, I can kind of say it. We tend to be very uh, controlling, and we tend to uh, base things sometimes on emotion, especially with money. I think, than to actually uh, w- with common sense. And when I'm looking at all of the different you know ventures that I've done, I can the the common pattern is I didn't understand what I was actually investing in. Yes. And, and and that is and that can not only be, be due to the actual um, the actual business it is, but also in understanding the person that you're working with. And I certainly have had some good business partners, and I've had some business partners that I could probably take it or leave it. And it wasn't basically I didn't understand the motives of that business partner as well, and what they wanted to get accomplished and what they wanted to get done. Um, so again, I'm always learning. And I think as a doctor, you should always be learning. You always should be craving knowledge. But if you want to invest in real estate, you need to understand everything there is to know about real estate and and making sure that's the right thing that you want to do. As someone who owns property out of state, it probably wasn't my biggest (laughs) investment that that I have, the best ones that I've had, because I didn't understand all the things that were associated with that. So, uh, so. If I can do real estate again, I would invest in the area and understanding that more than just kind of like trusting somebody that they would do it. And, and as doctors, we tend to do that. And that's where a lot of doctors, too, when they get in trouble in owning their own practices, they leave the money stuff to the manager. You know, yep. we'll focus on that. If you're going to have a successful practice, you need to understand one of the things that I do is every check that is written, I write that check because I want to know where it's going. Mm-hmm. And if I'm mm-hmm. seeing the same check, and a lot of times we let somebody else write those checks. If you want to have a successful business, you need to understand where that money's going at. So you need to be writing the checks. So I guess that's the best way to sum it up. I, I think those are, I, I just, I'm so on the same page with you. And I just want to pound this on the table again for everyone. You know, you have to understand this stuff. And it, that's not to say you're not going to make mistakes still, but at least you have measure of control over it. You know, if you look at what Mike was talking about with investing in Belize in a medical spa, you know, he he probably didn't understand uh, how the system worked there and um, the kind of patients and uh, the financials behind it and how all of that that worked. And so you, you really have to understand this stuff in and out. Are you going to know it all 100% when you take risk? Of course not. 
because you are taking risk and there's a chance it may not work out. But at least if you have control over it, which I know, um, Mike, you were saying that that's something with doctors, uh, which is kind of interesting because um, you mentioned about doctors having control being being a, an issue. Um, I actually think that I see the opposite problem, what you were kind of talking about of just outsourcing stuff. Uh, I see that more common as a problem than the control. And I think outsourcing is good after you understand it and can talk knowledgeably about it and be able to ask questions about it, um, but not until that point. Um, so if you look at some of the past podcast guests we've had on, uh, I think you see that time and time again as being a, a metric of success. So whether you do some of the stuff I'm doing and looking at empire flippers and, and acquiring businesses or investing in land, uh, I am understanding this stuff to the best of my knowledge. And then we take a leap of faith at some point, but, um, you don't want to take too much time. You know, you got to take action too. So I just want to encourage everyone, study it, understand it, uh, but then take that leap of faith because at some point you, you got to do it. Um, I think what, what I see in you, Mike, as, as one of your big strengths is you're not afraid to take action. Um, or maybe you are afraid to take action, but you take the action regardless. And so you've done thing after thing after thing after thing. It's been a consistent pattern in what you're doing and you just keep on trying stuff till you find things that work. Um, so congratulations to you on the successes and on your future successes. I know there's going to be more lumps along the way, but uh, I'm, I'm certain that you've learned from all your past lessons. And what a great uh, lesson to, to pass on to all of us, uh, all three of those things that you mentioned. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, Mike, as we wrap up the interview, I'd like you to ponder this question for a moment. Um, let's say you're talking with that, that resident, Mike, that you're a first-year resident you're just matched out of medical school. What advice would you give to him? Oh, invest in eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. No. Good advice. Or Amazon. Oh, How wait, about that? Amazon. Oh, yeah. I remember when it was just a bookstore. I, I, I guess I guess my advice would be was spend more time studying what you want to do, what you want mm -hmm. to know. So if your job... If your goal is to build more wealth, you need to study wealth building. You know, just like if you want to be a surgeon, you're going to be studying the best through the best surgeons. And if you want to study wealth building or entrepreneurship, is finding out who are the teachers, finding out where the materials, the information, who actually do that, and make sure that they actually do that. You know, yes. you know that, that's the thing. What, what, what bugs me sometimes with with there's a ton of business coaches out there, but they never run like a real business. You know, yep. that, so do your due diligence, study, you know, find out what makes you happy and just go with that. Just, just go with that and finding out what you want to do, what you want to get out of life, whatever you want to do. For myself, it's about building a legacy, building something that I could have for my children. So, and one of the things that, you know, I do and one of the reasons that I kind of don't do Bootstrap MD is because I I enjoy helping doctors. I, I get a kick out of helping doctors just like yourself, Dave. And I see them struggle. And so for me, it's more of a passion uh, than than actually uh, a revenue generate. I just love talking about entrepreneurship, as you can hopefully gather through this pod call. I just love talking about this stuff. I like seeing helping others do that. And you have to go and you have to invest the time to actually do that. If you want to go into real estate, follow some guy who has 500 real estate properties and just follow him. That um, when I started my own practice in age in age medicine and weight loss, I found people who had successful clinics and what they were doing. And uh, if I didn't, I reverse engineered the process of how they was actually doing. Um, my favorite phrase is "success leaves clues." You know, there are things that are in place that people have already done. I'm not saying that I reinvented the wheel. I'm doing anything that's different from anybody else. They've already done. They've already done those that things that it, that made them successful. Follow those people. If you do that, more times than not, you're going to become successful on your own right. I love it. That's great. Any other closing thoughts, Mike? No. Um, you know, if. Basically, if you are interested in entrepreneurship, uh, we just have a site called bootstrapmd.com. 
Uh, it's basically, it's just kind of my platform where I talk about entrepreneurship. Uh, we're building a Facebook group and just getting to know. And, and if you're interested, a doctor or interested in building a business, feel free uh, you know, to drop us a line left to, to see what you're doing. And I think one thing in, in medicine uh, where I think doctors tend to be a little bit different than other types of industries that I've been in is we tend to be a bit closed off and we tend to be a bit isolated and, and separated. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, as I mentioned, it's, it can be very lonely. If you're doing something and you're doing something successful, it's always good to talk with other uh, doctors. And we don't have doctors. We have other different types of healthcare professionals. Uh, Non-doctors are, are welcome as well. Uh, but something with a health you know, bent tends, tends to work well. And I think through doctors, we, we kind of have unique experiences that are a lot different uh, than others. Um, I would argue that we have uh, a lot of delayed gratification issues that we missed out when we were in medical school, but that's a podcast yeah. for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much for being with us. If people have more qu- questions, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, just go on to bootstrapmd.com, a little contact form, and they can email me their thoughts. And uh, happy to help anybody who would be interested in kind of my philosophy and, and, and different things dealing with entrepreneurship. All right, my friends. Well, that wraps it up for today, Mike gave us some great entrepreneurship lessons, great stories. And if you would like to hop on the podcast, I would love to be able to share your story too, because I believe these these kind of lessons really help all of us. So make sure to contact me, Dave, at drfreedompodcast.com, or of course, you can hop on my website, www.drfreedompodcast.com. Also, if you gain some value out of this podcast and you love this conversation, here's what I want you to do. You need to grab your friends or your colleagues, iPhone, iPad, Android device, whatever they got. Find the podcast link, get them subscribed to this podcast, and then go ahead, download some of your favorite episodes of the podcast. If they get mad, it's my fault. If they love it, you get all the credit, okay? So anyhow, thank you so much for joining me. It means so much to have you take your precious time out of your super busy and compressed schedule. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Hey, this is Dave Denniston, and I hope you love today's episode. If you do and you want more ideas on achieving financial freedom, I am committed to helping you end your year right. And that's why, my friend, the last two months of the year here, I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is about to become available. This book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is over three hundred pages. Yes, 300 pages. It's packed with tons and tons of actionable content. It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially, whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even if you've been practicing for a long time. So here's what you need to do. Text Dr. Book to 44222. And I will let you know the second it is available, and I will make sure to give you an early bird discount. And as I may have mentioned previously, uh, this book is especially near and dear to my heart because we are going to have a charitable mission for this book. The profits of this shall go two ways. One way to the Physician Support Initiative that was founded by my co-author, Amanda Liu, who tragically passed away, as well as to her daughter to provide some money for college. This is so important to me, so I'm only going to offer this as a discount through the end of the year, and then we're going to be selling the book at retail price, my friends. To snag your copy now and get on the early bird list, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. Thank you so much. Enjoy. <laughs>